0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: You're seeing rubber gloves all over the floor now. Why? Because people think if I glove up, I won't get it. And I'm not making fun of people for taking precautions, but I'm saying, man, what if we fear God like that? What if we gave God that kind of reverence? What if we said, I don't want to be in a situation that might mess me up in my relationship with God, so I won't go there. I'm going to take this precaution. What if... The world is showing us that it fears everything but the Lord. That's what grieves my heart. Not that we're taking precautions, but when I see this reverence for this thing and just the irreverence for the Lord, I realize that we need to be a witness.
0: There's a virus going around the world today that has everyone in a tizzy. We fear to visit our loved ones or to go into a store. But is a virus really what we should be fearful of? Pastor Bill reminds us today that our fear should be directed towards our Heavenly Father and nothing else. Everything is part of His plan, and if God is for you, then who can be against you? Even though we're living in uncertain times, we have a certainty and a promise that God will work everything together for good for those who love Him. Now here's Pastor Bill, now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as he continues his message, Power to Witness. Anybody that's in service to the
1: Lord, that's being a witness for God, that's sharing the gospel or preaching the word or trying to lead people to Christ or take people to church or bring them closer to the Lord. There's a battle that wages. We're at war. There's an enemy that comes against us. The enemy of our souls comes against us. And so the same is true here. The enemy comes against these guys, overcomes them and kills them. And much like. I believe when Satan killed Jesus, because I believe that everything that transpired for the death of Christ, uh, I believe Satan was in it. I believe that he, you know, we we know he possessed Judas and all the different pieces and parts. I believe it was a satanic, you know, coercion to bring the life of Jesus to an end. And I believe that when when Jesus died on the cross, I, I believe there was probably a a satanic celebration. We don't know that doesn't say that, but I'm sure that from Satan's perspective, it was like, we did it. We got them. And these guys, Satan overcame them and killed them. Now I want you to look at how bad things are on the earth. Look at what people do to their dead bodies. Verse eight, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So Jerusalem is being called by two names, Sodom and Egypt. Um, Sodom is, it it speaks of immorality. We know what happened in Sodom and what God did as he judged it. Egypt is also always a type of the world. Egypt is where God's people have been in bondage and enslaved. And that's the climate there in in Jerusalem. And so their bodies are going to lie dead in the street. Now in Jewish culture, a person dies, they're buried almost immediately. They're not left in the street. So this is extreme disrespect to leave their bodies out in the streets would have been, it would have been a show of great disrespect to these guys. Verse nine says, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. So their bodies are left there for three and a half days and the whole world sees it. Maybe it's on CNN, Uh, Maybe it's on the news. We know right now that something can happen somewhere in the world and the whole world can see it. We're set up for that already. It says everyone's going to see it for three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. So they're not going to be shown decent respect. When criminals get shot in the street, they cover them up. These guys are just left in the street. The news is covering it. People are walking in the street. Look at what it says. It gets worse than that. It says that they won't allow their bodies to be put in the graves in verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets, the two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth. Um, So it's almost the world is going to treat it like a, it's like a satanic Christmas. These guys are dead in the streets. And it says that the people of the earth are giving gifts to one another and celebrating that these two guys that tormented us are dead. I want you to consider this, right? Because these two guys, what did they do that the earth would hate them so much? They've been witnessing. They've been testifying to Christ. They've been witnessing and testifying. They have been sending plagues and earthquakes and fire and everything else so people can't come against them, but they've been testifying to who Christ is and that's why they're hated. That's why the enemy hates him. And so they're left there for these three and a half days and people celebrate it and give gifts to one another. I just want you to think about how How vile and how broken a culture must be that they would be rejoicing over dead people and sending gifts. And I was reading uh, from David Guzik on this, and he said he made a quote from Donald Barnhouse that says that somebody who didn't know scripture very well, they made a Christmas card with this verse on it. So they had Revelation eleven ten. It says, "And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts." This is a horrible, you know, misquotation of scripture, just out of context. And they that was on a Christmas card. So if you get a Christmas card with Revelation eleven ten, you should send it back uh, with everything that came with it. So, but that's what's happening on the earth at this time. This is people's response, and I I, I want to just say this. It's not a new thought, not a new thing. And every season in history, God's spokesmen are mistreated by those that don't appreciate their message. In the Old Testament, God's prophets, uh, they were mistreated. They were sawn in two. They were killed. They were they were all sorts of terrible things were done to the prophets of God who were speaking God's message in that time. The apostles, you know, they were all mistreated, and many of them died, martyrs' death for their proclamation of the gospel. And so all the way here in the end times, those that are witnessing for the Lord are still mistreated by the world at large. What should that teach us? Which what should we gain from that? A couple things. I think one, you can realize this, and, and everybody should listen, you'll never be much of a witness for the Lord if you're heavily concerned with people liking you. The type of people that need to be liked by everybody will never be much of a witness for Christ because what you'll find many times is that those who are opposing Christ will oppose those who bring his message. Those that are, that are offended by his message or disagree with his message are going to, they're going to treat you as a messenger the way they would treat him. And so you won't be liked by everybody. And I think as believers, we got to learn to be okay with that. As long as I'm loved by God, you know, we're not trying to be unlike, we're not doing things that make people not like us. But, you know, if at the end of the day, because I say Jesus is Lord, he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to get to heaven except through him. If that burns you, I got to let you deal with that burn and and, and hopefully it soaks in one day and you receive it. So moving on, now look at verse 11. It says, now after the three and a half days The breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Right. So consider this. These guys died. They laid in the street dead for three days. People celebrated and gave gifts and cheered. And at the end of three and a half days, it says that God sent the breath of God, the breath of life from God entered their bodies and they got back up. I just want you to imagine what that would do, what, would, what kind of an impact that was going to have. And, and this is the questions I'm asking as I read this. God, why are you doing that? Because it's the end time. It's almost over. Consider this. We're at the, we're at the last part of the tribulation period. The last few people that are going to get saved. They, it's a little bit of time left. And so God says, look, I'm, I want you to see that I have power over death again. God showed you and I his power over death and that Jesus died and he got back up. Well, these guys died for their witness. And they got back up, demonstrating that God has power over death. God brought them back to life. And rightly, people that saw it feared. Great fear fell on them that saw it. Verse 12 says, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So not only did the enemies of God see these guys resurrect, get back up. Breath of God in them. Then it says they hear a voice from heaven saying, come up here. And then they watch these guys ascend up into heaven in a cloud. It says in that same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. Seven thousand people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so the result of this was that there were people that that saw it different afterwards. Fear came upon them, rightly so. And there were people that gave glory to the God of heaven, maybe that had never done it before. And I want us to gather this because one question that we want to continue to answer as we study the book of Revelation, these are wild things that we're reading, by the way. This is to some people, this is crazy stuff. This is wild. And you have to ask God, what are you revealing to me about you as I read this? What is this telling me about you? One thing that God keeps telling you and me about him is that at every season, he's trying to save people. Don't ever miss that. At every juncture, at every season, God's trying to save people. Why would he bother to send two witnesses in the midst of a time when he's pouring out his wrath because God's still trying to see if there's some people that would be saved? That's his heart. Some people misrepresent the heart of God as though God wants to punish. Like he gets off on punishing the wicked, but God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any would perish. It's not what he wants, but instead that all would come to repentance. That's really what God wants. And so God's revealing to us in the book of Revelation that, look, I'm I'm sending witnesses to save people. I'm doing miracles. I'm resurrecting people and sending earthquakes that those that wouldn't fear me any other way, that I'm shaking up their world, that they might come to a place and say, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. I have to wonder in a time like this and what we're going through right now, God isn't using this to cause people to turn to him. If God isn't stripping some things away from people that they trusted in, that they counted on, that they might be forced to look up and see him. I'm not saying God sent this, but I know that God can use everything for his glory and for his purposes. And I look at our world and what's going on right now. I'm praying that there would be many people that would turn to Christ in this time. I pray that people that are looking for answers would find that Jesus is the answer. People that are trying to find solace and and serenity and hope and peace and direction in the midst of a time like this, that they would find that they need to be anchored in Jesus, that that's our hope, that's our peace. And so even if you're listening right now and you say, man, this this is a crazy time that we're living in. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know what's going to happen to me. You can take off the table, right? You can surrender your life to Christ that your sins would be forgiven, but also that you would be in a relationship with the living God. And that whatever's gonna happen, it's gotta gotta go through him. Whatever's gonna happen in my life's gotta pass by God. I belong to him, I'm a child of God. I think that's important for everybody at every season of every part of life that we belong to the Lord, but you gotta enter into relationship with him by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I would strongly encourage you the Bible teaches that's where life begins. Life begins in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you've never done that, I would challenge you, I would encourage you that you would consider, that you would consider where you stand, what would happen when you die. What have you done with Jesus? Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave and conquered Satan's sin, death, that you might be saved. Have you received him as Lord? Have you put your faith in him? Do you Could you say where you're sitting or listening today that you believe that Jesus is the only way to make it. And if you believe in anything else, it's the wrong thing. And I would beg you to reconsider that Jesus is it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to the Father unless you go through Jesus. And so uh, moving on here, we're, we're learning here. Jesus is revealing that, look, I'm, I'm witnessing. I'm reaching out. I'm, I'm sending witnesses. I'm giving them power. I'm raising them up to life. All this. And again, the end result was that there were many people there that through fear gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Some of you guys might remember way back in chapter eight, verse 13, when the angel said, woe, woe, woe. And he said, man, you know, and the woes were each, there was three different judgments and one was going to be worse than the other. The first one we saw in, in, in chapter nine where the demons were released. And this is the second woe. Um, and, and there's one more coming quickly. The angel says now, verse 15. And I love this. It says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven, saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom's. Of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the seventh angel, when he sounded, he he sounded off, and then there were these loud voices in heaven declaring this that the kingdoms of the worlds have become the kingdoms of our Lord, that finally the exchange has taken place. God has taken over this thing again, and it says this He shall reign forever and ever. And the one thing that to me is, is uh, I guess I have peace with in terms of relationship with the Lord is God says, look, it doesn't matter what you see right now. I, I reign, I will reign, I've always reigned. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there's no authority above him. And whatever we see happening in the earth realm, God says, eventually, I'm, I'm going to reign over it all. And they're rejoicing here. This is the voices in heaven. They're rejoicing that he reigns. He's taken back over and he reigns forever and ever. They're seeing it begin to transpire. It says, look, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It says, and then the 24 elders uh, who sat before the throne of God fell on their faces. At this word, right, at the word that Jesus reigns, the 24 elders in the heavenly scene fall down on their faces and worship God. And we've seen this many times now. Every time we get a glimpse into the heavenly scene. What are the, what, are, what are the people doing? The 24 elders, the angels, the people, they're worshiping God because he's worthy to be praised. He deserves it. And these guys fall on their faces and they worship God. And this is what they say. They say, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. And I love that name for God, Almighty, because it's, it's, it puts him in this. place. There's none above him. He's the Almighty. That means there's no one mightier than he is. The one who is? And who was and who is to come. That can only be said about God. He was, he is, and he is to come. Always has been, always will be. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear you, those who fear your name, small and great. And should destroy those who destroy the earth. They're praising God for one that he reigns. They're praising him because he's taken his great power and he's reigned. They said, look, the nations were angry, but your wrath has come. They're praising God because his wrath finally came for you guys. Look in our world and we see wickedness that just abounds, murders and rapes and killings and babies and everything else. God says, look, there's a day coming. There's a day coming where all that stuff's going to be judged. There's a day of judgment coming And they're rejoicing here that the day of God's judgment, the day of God's wrath, they they can see it. That God's going to deal with all the things and says, look, the dead, they're going to be judged. Those that have done wrong, they're going to be judged. But what's going to happen to the believers? What's going to happen to the saints? This is a beautiful truth for those whose faith is in Christ. I think it's mostly a beautiful truth because we're all guilty. If you take a non-believer and a believer, right, what's the difference between these two people? This person has not believed in Jesus. Sins are not forgiven. This person has believed in Jesus. Sins are forgiven. Have not believed in Jesus. You're going to give an account for your own sins and be judged for them. Have believed in Jesus. My sins were paid in full on the cross of Jesus. I go free. Now I don't get judged. I get rewards. You may take these two people and arguably sometimes their believers lives that were worse than non-believers' lives. Judgment reward based on what you've done with Jesus. And so here he says, look, that He's being worshipped because, look, you're going to judge the wicked. He says, but your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear you, God's going to reward them. Uh, we have that to look forward to. There'll be rewards for those who fear your name, small and great. They're going to be rewards. And it says and should destroy those who destroy the earth. God is going to judge and deal with those that have destroyed the earth. Last verse, verse 19, it says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquakes, and great hell. And as John peers in, this the, the temple of God is open in heaven. He gets his glimpse in of, of this, the ark, which is you know representative of God's presence there. And then we see all the things that represent God's presence, the lightnings, the thunderings, the earthquakes, the, the great hell. He gets a glimpse into all these things, just God's power on display. So as we run chapter 11 in reverse, run it back. This is what I'd like us to walk away with. Um, One, as God has in this unique time, God raised up two unique witnesses that he gave power to. Because God was still going after the lost. God was still going after the unbeliever. And there were people that were one to him through all that transpired here. That's what he wanted. Now, my question to you is the same question to me is, I'm not alive during the tribulation period. I don't expect to be there. I'm alive today. And there are things going on in my world today. And here's a question for us, you guys. Could we be better witnesses today? If you just be honest before the Lord, myself, yourself, could we be better witnesses? We all could. I'm sure we all could be. The the need for us to be a witness is strong. I get grieved in my heart when I see that. People fear things, not that they shouldn't be feared, but people fear things that are lesser of lesser importance. Right. We have this this virus, this is this thing going on right now. And I mean, I'm looking on every street corner and out here in L.A., every street corner, they got a coronavirus, you know, kit. You can get you a mask. You can get a 50 cent mask for five dollars. Um, you can get some, some gloves. You can get some squirts of, of hand sanitizer. They're on the corner slinging this stuff like they're probably making more slinging masks than drugs right now. Guys just walking up and down the streets and everybody's buying a mask and putting a mask on. The people are afraid. People don't want to catch it. They're afraid. They're walking in the stores. You're seeing rubber gloves all over the floor now. Why? Because people think if I glove up, I won't get it. And I'm not making fun of people for taking precautions, but I'm saying, man, what if we fear God like that? What if we gave God that kind of reverence? What if we said, I don't want to be in a situation that might mess me up in my relationship with God, so I won't go there. I'm going to take this precaution. What if the world is showing us that it fears everything but the Lord? That's what grieves my heart. Not that we're taking precautions, but when I see this reverence for this thing and just the irreverence for the Lord, I realize that we need to be a witness. Amen. We need to be witnesses. We're on duty. God says, look, you're here. Like, like Esther, like, like Mordecai, told. how do you know that you're not here for such a time as this? I could have been here during the time of Jesus, but I wasn't. I could have been here to be homies with Paul, but I wasn't. I'm here for the COVID-19, I'm here for this era of Christianity, and I want to be a better witness as well. So how can we be a better witness? Well, these witnesses were empowered by God. Not their own might, not their own strength, not their own power. It was God's power provided for them. God's strength, God's protection, God's power. And I believe that we'll be better witnesses, not in our own strength, not in our own might. You're not going to read enough books to be a better witness. A witness is not what you do, it's what you are. But I do believe if we let the Holy Spirit fill our lives and have his way, quite naturally, as we are yielded to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, he will move us when needed to speak, to share, to live in such a way, to say to the right people, to put things in place. God will help you and me to be better witnesses. So as we get done today, I'm going to definitely pray for us, that God would baptize us anew and afresh in the power of his Holy Spirit, that we might be witnesses to him. The next thing is this. From heaven's perspective, those that were there, they were able to worship God because he reigns. And you and I, no matter what the chaos we're looking at, we also can worship God because he reigns. He was and he is and he is to come. He reigns. This thing is all going to work out. God is going to have his way before it's all set and done. And so we should be able to rejoice and we should be people of praise and worship because he reigns. And the most important place that God needs to reign is in your own heart, in your own life. He needs to reign in me. He needs to reign in you. And so lastly, we see that for all the wicked that's happening you know, there's, there's two things happening at the end. The wicked will be judged. The righteous will be rewarded. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe you're in the middle right here and it's difficult. Right? You're walking with the Lord. It's a, it's a difficult. Maybe you're in this challenging time to, to walk with the Lord. But you got to take hope in the future in difficult times because we know that our reward is coming. It might be difficult today, but our reward is coming. I'll close with the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where he said, As he was suffering, he said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said, I know I'm going through it, but it's nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us.
0: You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the Book of Revelation is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit CalvaryInglewood.org and click on Media, or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in our app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we would love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and locations for services. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's word and be together as a family of God. Again, our website is CalvaryEnglewood.org. As we've looked into the book of Revelation, keep in mind that this book is not all doom and gloom. It ends the way the Bible began, in paradise. For those who love and follow Jesus, this book provides hope in God rescuing us from all that is broken and corrupt. So, keep looking for that in the midst of much heartache here on earth. If you felt the blessing of this ministry in your life, we'd love for you to partner with us in praying for those who hear a transforming word. As the message go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. This ministry is a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and His salvation. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for another edition with Pastor Bill on a transforming word.